Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus it's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. How sweet it is. The New York Mets complete the oddest, most insane, drunk homestand we've seen in a very, very, very long time. I'll sum it up this way before we go into detail on the three-game sweep of Cleveland. The homestand began with Justin Verlander getting booed off the mound. The homestand began with Starling Marte hearing boos because he looked awful at the plate. The homestand began with basically everybody hearing boos when the Mets lost game one of that three-game series to the Tampa Bay Rays. And really, it was rock bottom for all of us. And then the homestand ends with Justin Verlander getting a standing ovation as he walked off the mound after eight brilliant innings. The homestand ended with Francisco Lindor getting a huge ovation for hitting a clutch game-tying home run. The homestand ends with Starling Marte running, Lindor giving you a little check action and going first to third. Let's not forget, earlier in the day, Starling Marte hit a incredibly clutch Two-run home run. The difference between Tuesday and Sunday was insane. And if it reminds me of anything, I'll tell you what it reminds me of. I'll tell you exactly what it reminds me of. Very different part of the year, very different circumstances. But as someone that experienced the low of lows at City Field, when Wilmer Flores was crying and the Mets were getting shut down by the Padres to the very next day, I was not in the building the next day, when Justin Upton goes oppo taco. 
against Jairus Familia in the rain. That was the bottom of the 2015 Mets. And within four days, the Mets are completing a sweep over the Washington Nationals and taking control of the NL East. Obviously, the Mets have not quite taken control of the NL East. So it's not maybe going to give us the exact same result. But in terms of a building and a fan base being as down in the dumps as it was to having such a complete 180 turnaround in such a quick manner, this is rare. And I know that baseball is a streaky game. We always talk about it. But I think you got to look at just how bad and dark everything looked Tuesday night. I was in the building Tuesday night. Everybody was getting booed. We, we did a drive-home podcast about it. Go back into the archives. You can hear it. In fact, that's what you should do. If you're really bored with no life, listen to the drive-home reaction podcast from Tuesday night, and then listen to this one. I mean, you, or, or I guess listen the next night when the Mets pulled off the incredible comeback against Tampa. And when they pulled off that comeback, we had said what we had hoped. And what we had hoped is that that win would turn the season around. That win would lead to something big. But, hey, doesn't matter unless they win the series against Tampa, which they did. Hey, doesn't matter unless they go out and win a series against Cleveland, which they did with an exclamation point because they swept the freaking series. So I start off with just the emotional change we've all had in just five days. I feel good. I think everybody listening should feel good. Not declaring one in the World Series or anything like that, but... I feel good. Pete, do you feel good? I feel incredible. Um, I'm on cloud nine now, especially because it's not just winning ball games. It's how they're winning ball games that's turning it special. And and that's what it, listen, like you said, I'm, we're not we're not claiming a World Series right here. Well what, what I'm claiming is we have a season now. Like before I felt like the season was dead. And now all of a sudden, and listen, I don't want to say it's the youth movement of Vientos, but maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's like, wow, we just saw Guillermo get sent down. Maybe Marte and some of these other vets are going, I might be next. I think that, I think it was Lindor, maybe it was Pete Alonzo who said it after Friday night when he coined the phrase where the baby Mets, the baby Mets. I, I think it adds enthusiasm. I don't think it's necessarily guys being scared for their jobs, but I do think it's, Hey, the excitement of the youth coming up and contributing in a big way, which obviously we saw on Friday when Francisco Alvarez came through with the hit he had. What I would like to nitpick one thing on is it would be nice, especially going to Chicago, for the Mets to have a couple of games where they just simply kick a team's ass. That would be nice because if you think about this three-game series against Cleveland, and we'll go through all three games, obviously, they were all very close and could have gone the other way. I mean, the Mets, during this stretch of games they have played, and this goes all the way back to when things turned negatively against the Giants at the end of the West Coast trip. Every win they've had could have easily been a loss. Like, there hasn't been a game in over a month in which the Mets just simply kicked the team's butt and made it easy. This entire three-game series, the two games against Tampa Bay. uh, Actually, you know what? I guess the one game I would circle was the game against Washington that wrapped up the doubleheader. That was the one game where they, you could say, all right, they kicked the team's ass. And they broke that game open, and they won it 8-2. to two. Outside of that, every game has been life and death. And we got to start with Friday, because Friday night, and I know it made a few people laugh, 
when you saw my tweet at like one o'clock in the morning, because that's literally what I did. I walked into my house Friday night. I did not go to the game. I think I announced that on the last Rico as if anyone really gives a rat's ass, but I did not go to the game. I was going to spend some time with the family and I'm not going to lie to you. Got the kids asleep and we started drinking. We had a fun Friday night before I know it. Me and my wife are dancing outside. I'm not going to get any more details. All I'll say is we had a very fun night. Then time to start the Met game. And I think I started this game at, it had to have been well after 10 o'clock. I'd say like 10, 10, 15. But something bad happened or something good happened. I was checking my phone very briefly, not my text messages, because I never check my text messages when I'm behind on DVR. I think I may have gone to the weather app, something like that. And I accidentally hit text messages. Okay. I did not see anything other than one word. And that word was wow. It's all I saw. And I'll tell you exactly who it was from. It was from Craig's kid, Sonny Carton. All right. Now, Sonny did nothing wrong because Sonny doesn't know. Sonny doesn't know if I'm behind on a Met game. But I very quickly just saw the letters wow. And I, I shut my phone off. Now, what's good is that he could have been texting me about anything. He could have been texting me about the NBA playoffs. He could have been texting me about a new feud his dad was in on social media. It didn't necessarily have anything to do with the Mets, but I'm crazy when I DVR these games. If there's any kind of hint of anything, my brain starts to play tricks. My brain starts to say, what was that wow about? Was it about the Mets? And I start to think about things. So I sit down, I watch this game. Immediately, Carlos Carrasco is Carlos Carrasco. I mean, hey, Carlos, we hardly knew you. Boom, he's giving up a three-run home run to Josh Naylor. Naylor? I barely know her. <laughs> Sorry. I know, it's too easy. So we're down 3 nothing, and I'm thinking, eh, maybe the wow was about something else. Down 4 nothing when Cam Gallagher, and that one really pissed me off, Cam Gallagher is hitting 070. He's won for his last 150,000, and he's coming through with an RBI single against Carlos Carrasco. To Carlos's credit, I give him a little bit of credit. After he gives up the four runs in the first two innings, and we know the state of the Met bullpen, the Mets did not want to have to go to their bullpen in the third inning. And I think at that point, Buck's probably thinking to himself, look, we're probably going to lose this game. Let's be honest. Let's just try to get five innings out of Carlos Carrasco. And Carlos had a one, two, three, third and a one, two, three, fourth. He did give up a run in the fifth. So it ends up as a five inning, five run performance. And I'm not trying to defend it. I'm not trying to tell you it was good. I just thought it could have been far worse. And considering the state of this Met bullpen, I thought him just being able to give him five innings, not that I thought the Mets would come back. I obviously didn't, despite what they did on Wednesday against Tampa Bay. It was just nice to see him at least settle down. And I'm not even going to say keep him in the game, but keep the bullpen from having to enter this game in the third or fourth inning. They're down 5 nothing. It kind of feels over with, especially in the fourth when they had a two-out opportunity after an error by Josh Bell when he literally just drops a ball at first base, which would have ended the inning. And before you know it, the Mets have 2-1-2 two two out for Mark Vientos. And I'm, okay, maybe the gates have been opened to an opportunity. And they did nothing with it. 
They finally got the home run by Francisco Alvarez, which is always nice to see from him. They got an RBI single out of Jeff McNeil, so they're starting to creep back into this game. It's 5-2. to two. Brett Beatty goes opposite field. It's 5-3. to three. And now I'm convinced, wow, the wow has to do with the Mets. We're going to come back and win this game. Now I'm thinking that because it's 5-3 because they're back in the game. In the seventh inning, and let's get on buck a little bit, right? Let's, let's have some fun. Let's get on buck a little bit. Seventh thing of this game, he decides to keep Dominic Leone in. Now, just to remind you, Dominic Leone pitches the sixth inning. He puts the first two guys on base and very fortunate to get out of it. Ends up getting a big double play on Miles Straw, which is almost impossible to turn. But the infield was not as deep as it would normally be. And they were able to turn a double play. I think they had the I think they were basically playing halfway. That's how they pulled it off because there was first and third with one out. So the guys were playing halfway, gave them the opportunity to turn it. But Leon was lucky. So Buck, I guess, figuring, I don't want to burn through my bullpen in a game I'm probably going to lose, even though I wouldn't think that way at 5-3 in the seventh. I think I do have a chance to win the game. He lets Leon start the seventh, base it, base it to 8-9, walks the leadoff hitter, Stephen Kwan, and then goes to Stephen Nagosik, who doesn't make life much better. And Josh Naylor comes up with a big two-run single, And Cleveland, at the time it feels like, breaks the game open at 7-3. But very underrated moment in this game. Pete Hoffman would not want me to talk about this because he obviously hates Tommy Hunter. But Tommy Hunter, bases loaded, two outs, comes into this game at 7-3. Andres Jimenez could clear the bases with a base hit. Could just rope one up the alley and end this game. And he got Jimenez to ground out. Now, I'm not thinking in the moment this is a big moment in the game, but it turned out to be because it kept the game 7-3, and then we finally retrieved what the wow was about. I was able to deduce that the wow was the Pete Alonzo Grand Slam in the seventh inning (laughs) because my brain does math too. If I accidentally looked at my phone a little bit before 10 o'clock, right around 10 o'clock, game starts at 7-10, It's a long game. You can already tell it's a long game. There's a bunch of walks. There's a lot of full counts. There's a lot of base runners. The wow was clearly the Pete Alonzo Grand Slam. That's what I deduced as he went opposite field. And that was so beautiful. That was how sexy was that Grand Slam by Pete Alonzo? That was just everything. Oh, just everything about that. They get the first three guys on base. Nimmo draws a walk. Lindor comes through with a single. Uh, McNeil draws a walk. And then, I don't know why, that opposite field smash from a right-hand hitter reminds me of Piazza. Makes me think like I'm a kid again. And that was one of the sexiest Grand Slams you'll ever see. I don't know about you, but I I knew it was gone immediately. Like, Gary took a second. It felt like he wasn't really sure if he saw what he just saw. Right. But I knew that was gone right off the bat. Yeah, I felt... I felt like 97% sure that thing was gone. Just the way it came off the bat, the swing. And then Alonzo, and we all love Pete. Pete is the biggest doofus in the world. I mean, you got to love our big our big doofus, Pete Alonzo. He's twirling around the bases. He's losing his helmet. He's putting his helmet back on. I'm not going to spend too much time on the Rico because I'm sure Craig and I will discuss this in detail. But Alonzo also has a humping problem, which we'll get into. He likes to hump everything when he's very excited. He humps the air constantly. But you know what? I'm going to save that for Carton and Roberts, right? We're not going to do too much of that here. I just love Pete's excitement. 
I mean, who doesn't love Pete Alonso being excited about hitting a game-tying grand slam? Doesn't mean the Mets are going to win the game, by the way, just because they come back. You know, it's still the eighth inning. You still have to deal with the Met bullpen. There's certainly no guarantee they're going to win the game, but it was just awesome to see him fight back from a big deficit again. They're down 5 nothing in the fifth inning. They make it 5-3, and now they're down 7-3 in the seventh inning. Really feeling like last year. I said a lot on the Rico so far during this season. Last year, we win this game. Last year, this happens. Last year, that happens. This is the first time over the last week where we could say, hey, this reminds me of last year. The fight of this team. The comeback of this team. But as great as the comeback is, it doesn't mean anything if you lose this game. Props to Adam Adovino, who we will rip later, by the way. But props for a 1-2-3 eighth inning. Props to David Robertson for a 1-2-3 ninth inning that was capped off by just an incredible defensive play by Pete Alonso. And we're not going to go on about this because I think everybody knows how Pete and I feel, but I, I don't understand how Alonso is not respected as a defensive first baseman. I mean, the guy makes every play for the most part, and that is a clutch diving play against Jose Ramirez in a tie game in the ninth inning. It is what it is. I don't want to get nuts about it. We're not going to break down war again, but let's just point this out. Tie game, ninth inning, two innings after hitting that grand slam. Pete's making a headlong dive and then making the right flip to David Robertson at first base and getting through the inning. The offense didn't do anything, and that was the frustrating part. That's why we were set up in the 10th where Drew Smith, who's mostly been good, obviously makes a huge mistake to, of all people, Gabriel Arias. That's what really kicked me in the balls on Friday night because when you take a guy out as a pinch runner, which is how Josh Bell got out of the game to begin with for Gabriel Arias, and then two innings later, he smokes, speaking of opposite field home runs, smokes a ball over the right field fence. It's so deflating, not just because it's a two-run home run in the 10th inning, which is bad enough, but of where it came from. It wasn't Jose Ramirez hitting the home run. It wasn't even Josh Bell. It was Gabriel Arias. But I said this last time when we were talking about the Tampa series. For whatever reason, I guess it's just the math, when you play these extra inning games with the Manfred man on second, being down by two is really being down by one because you already have the tying run at the plate. You go into the inning immediately knowing, hey, I got the tying run at the plate. Obviously, I got to get more than just that runner from second scoring, but it's not this daunting task of, okay, I got to get a guy on, then I need to get lucky with a two-run home run. I need the bloop and the blast just to tie the game. You're already set up with the tying run at the plate. So Smith gives up the two home run or the two runs to Cleveland, the Gabrielle Arias two-run home run. And we're set up in the 10th with the bottom of the order. I was fascinated to see how Buck was going to handle his bench. Because Cleveland's going to go to Emmanuel Classe. You've got Marte Vientos Cana Alvarez. You've got Vogelbach and Escobar specifically on the bench. Because you're thinking about left-handed bats. Obviously, he lets Marte hit. It's a sacrifice fly, which is meaningless because that runner on second doesn't mean anything. He lets Vientos hit, which I only say surprisingly because remember, Buck Showalter a day earlier said he thought about pinch hitting for Mark Vientos late in the game. Almost like we were lucky that Buck decided not to pinch hit for him. So obviously, I'm thinking to myself, is he going to pinch hit for him? 
He doesn't. Vientos delivers RBI single. Now, the RBI doesn't mean a lot, but now all of a sudden, boom, tying runs on base. We're in business. And he sends up Eduardo Escobar as a pinch runner. I thought maybe Tommy Pham, but I guess the reason he's going to Escobar, I, I'm i trying to think why, why what was there, was, there was a thought in my head on why he did it at the time and it made sense. Maybe it's that he wanted Pham on the bench in case he needed another outfielder. And that's probably the case because he did. Because remember that now it all makes sense to me because he pinch hits for Canna with Vogelback. Now he needs the outfielder. So if the game goes to the 11th, then he was going to need Tommy Pham. So that's why he went Escobar as a pinch runner. But I didn't expect Escobar it was going to make like Tim LaCastro and try to steal second base, which he does. I-, I thought that was stunning and awesome at the same time. Unfortunately, Daniel Vogelback blows. So he struck out after pinch hitting for Canna, which I wasn't, I wasn't anti the move. I kind of get it against a tough pitcher like Emmanuel Klaus. I'm also thinking Vogelback could draw a walk. It's actually one of his positive attributes. He draws a walk. Now, all of a sudden, you got the winning run on base. But Vogelback struck out. and It was a terrible at-bat. I think strike three was a pitch out of the strike zone, too. A fastball up and away, if memory serves correct, which can't happen. It's the one thing Vogelback does well is he doesn't chase pitches out of the strike zone. But then it sets up redemption. This was redemption for Francisco Alvarez. And here's why. Earlier this season, one of his first games he played, similar spot against Josh Hader. And Josh Hader ate his lunch and then shoved it back down Alvarez's throat. And it was an at-bat where it felt like Alvarez was trying to hit a 1,000-foot home run. Now he's facing a closer who, let's be honest, is better than Josh Hader. At least he has over the last year or so. And Emmanuel Classe, a tougher matchup, you could argue. And he's behind in the count 0-2. Tying run on second, two outs in the 10th. Game is over. I I have my, my finger on the remote because now it's late at night. I'm pissed, tired. I'm angry, a little disappointed. They lose this game 7-3. It is what it is. Okay, we lost the opener of this series. Let's see if we can bounce back with Scherzer and Verlander coming up. They come back the way they did to lose that game was going to stink. It was not going to feel good. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So it's 0-2 on Alvarez. My finger is just sticking into that remote, ready to shut it off, ready to go to bed, and ready to pray I'm not going to have a hangover the next day. And Alvarez on an 0-2 pitch. 
hits that ground ball past third. Escobar's flying around the bases, and the Mets come back and tie the game. Oh, what a feeling. Oh, what a feeling. Now, I enjoy that for about um, 30 seconds before I realize, oh, God, they have no bullpen. Oh, my God. What the hell is going to happen in the 11th inning of this game? (laughs) They had two guys left in their bullpen, Brooks Raleigh and Jeff Brigham. That's it. Brooks Raleigh. Raleigh. It's just it's so stuck in my head. I'm sorry. They got two guys left. I think Gary Cohen even made a joke on the broadcast. They need a home run because the bullpen needs it because the bullpen doesn't want to come out for the 11th inning. But guess what? Brandon Nimmo infield single. And then when Lindor came up, for whatever reason, I knew the game was over. I, I And I, I think it's the combination of he's facing his former team. He had some really good at-bats in this game. He did. He had the double in the fifth. He had the single in the seventh. And Lindor is a streaky guy. So it feels like, all right, we're about to hit a good streak. It's his former team. The Mets have rallied now with back-to-back base hits in the 10th. I don't know why. I don't know why my confidence was so high. But I just felt Lindor was going to get the game winner. And he didn't waste any time. First pitch single. Let the party begin. And the New York Mets were able to put together another remarkable victory. Very different than Wednesday. Because I think Wednesday was desperation for a lot of us. The loss would have sucked, like I said. But... I don't know. I think we would have been, it would have been easier to rationalize and say, all right, you know what? Go win the next two games, win the series. It's a good homestand, not the end of the world. That Wednesday game had to happen. So on a desperation level, the Wednesday win was more impressive, but from a baseball standpoint, this thing was nuts too. five, nothing seven, three down by two in the 10th. I mean, three different deficits really two, but in my mind, three different deficits and they come back and they win it. And just a remarkable win. That's why I tweeted out whatever time it was. Oh, my God, what a win. I knew everyone else had seen it two hours ago. But for me, I was letting out my emotion. Incredible victory on Friday. Well, and and it really was. I mean, Twitter was a blazing. Let's put it that way. Um, and I think a lot of Lindor, it's weird. It was a weird time to happen. Uh, maybe it's just because Cleveland was in town. But Jason Kipnis was interviewed, I think, that day and t- was actually talking about the quote-unquote leadership behind Francisco Lindor, and he kind of made some off comments and kind of put, like, Lindor in a bind, like, where it was like he was basically saying that Lindor didn't, wasn't the guy, wasn't a good dude, and it's been a lot, long time removed since then, so he's actually come out and said, he apologizes, he's like, it really wasn't that bad, I just said the wrong thing, my mistake. Uh, and not to mention on my show, Brandon Tierney was killing him was crushing him, basically saying that the Mets fan is going to hate Lindor at the end of this contract, and it was fitting. I forgot to tell you guys that WFAN and, and the Mets, we have a, a same script writer, and sometimes they like to like do crossover crossover <laughs> episodes. So it just all worked out that Francisco Lindor was gonna was written in to have a walk-off that day. It worked out for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I By the way, the, the, the Jason Kipnis comment, I – I, I didn't take it seriously because just to, just thinking about when they were teammates, Lindor was 25 years old. So to question his leadership back then to me would be irrelevant because at 25 years old, I wouldn't expect him to be a great leader. So 
I didn't take it necessarily that Kipnis is a liar or he's a bad guy, just that that comments are relevant to me. You know, judging someone at 25 years old in their leadership doesn't really mean all that much. It just doesn't. I think with Lindor, he has been a very clutch player since he's been here. I think that's a fair statement to say. He's been a clutch player. He's gotten a lot of big hits for this team. And so I think the combination of that and him facing his former team, I wasn't really thinking about anything else. Not No offense to you guys or Kipnis or anything. That's not on my mind. Or why I think he's going to get a game-winning hit. It was more, he's he's clutch. Look, he's been a very, very clutch man. He has. He's gotten a lot of big hits over the really the last two years. I wouldn't go back to year one. Year one was not a great year. I think we all acknowledge that. And I'm able to move on from it because it doesn't matter anymore. Who cares about 2021? The team sucked. They had a couple of good months that where they teased us. But at the end of the day, they were a sub-500 team. But that win on Friday was so collective in many ways. Brett Beatty had a bunch of big hits in this game. I mean, firstly, the double didn't turn into anything, but it was still big for him to rip that double in the right field in the second inning. He hits the home run. That got him a little bit closer. We mentioned Alvarez hits the home run, gets the game-tying hit. Lindor and Nimmo and McNeil all get on base before the Alonzo Grand Slam. Alonzo delivers. Tommy Hunter gets that monster out in the seventh inning. Little did we know it at the time. And the bullpen, which we'll get to because there's a lot of negative from the bullpen, but the bullpen, specifically the guys you need to trust the most, like Adam Adovino and David Robertson, also did a great job. They faced six batters. They got them all out. Drew Smith's the one who made the mistake, giving up the home run to Gabriel Arias. So it was a it was a team effort. They pick up Carrasco, who is not good in his first start back. The offense wakes up after looking lifeless over the first four innings, and they just get an incredible victory. You know, one of those victories that you pinch yourself about. And it, again, builds off of what Wednesday was, which was the turnaround. And now, three consecutive victories after they win Friday. Two of them are insane comeback wins. The offense is showing a pulse. The young guys are in the lineup because on Friday, we saw Mark Vientos DHing a day after he wasn't. We saw Francisco Alvarez in the lineup a day after he wasn't. So the youth is there. The youth all contributes, too. And they get themselves a great victory. And by the way... I think I mentioned this on the last Rico that I was so happy to be there Wednesday that it would have bothered me if I wasn't in the building. I had no regrets about Friday. I think that Wednesday one was the one that would have killed me. Plus, I think when I decide and me and my wife talk a week ahead of time, like I'm not going to this game, I'm going to that game. It's much easier to rationalize when there's a great game and I'm not there. If I knew all along I wasn't going. I was planning on going Saturday. I was going to take the whole family Saturday to Francisco Lindor, Let's grow some grass around the bobblehead day, bobblehead day. But I think we knew early on that wasn't going to happen. And good job by the Mets raining the game out. There was no reason to even try to play that game. You don't want to be like the Washington Nationals, so they can it. They make the split doubleheader. My, my only issue with the split doubleheader. So selfishly, I was going to go Saturday. I could not go to the Sunday afternoon game. I just couldn't. There were things with the kids and I wasn't going to change it. So I ended up missing the game, which is whatever that's everyone's going to have a thing. Like there are certain days you would be able to go to a game. There's certain days you're not. So I, that's my own problem. I did go to the Sunday night game and 
the one problem I have for anyone who went to this game is that when they do a split admission doubleheader, they will open up the gates for game two only an hour before first pitch. So I'm standing there online with my son about 15 minutes before the gates open. It was a crazy long line. And once the gates open, it moves relatively quickly. So I'm okay. But for anybody else, if you showed up at 630, God knows what that line looked like. So I just wonder if you're going to have these split admission doubleheaders. Two things, right? Number one, if someone has a ticket to the next game, let them stay in the freaking building. And here's why you should let them stay in the building. They're going to give you money. I promise you, they're going to buy hot dogs. They're going to go to the team store. They're going to they're gonna beg you to take their money. I had a buddy of mine who had tickets for both games. They're like, yeah, they kicked me out. And, and I'm sure it'd be difficult to find a system where they could check somebody. I, I, I don't know what the, the way to do it is. But I'm telling you, these people who have tickets to both games, and I, again, I'm not one of them because I was not going to the first game. I'm speaking for others. They, they're going to give you money. You will make money off those suckers. So that's number one. Find a way to let them stay in the building. Number two, can you find a way to open the gates a little bit earlier than an hour before first pitch? Just find a way. What are you doing between games? You're not cleaning up. There's no reason to clean up. We're just going to make a mess when we get in. So what are you doing? So uh, this is to the match, this to every team in baseball. Let's fix this. Let's find a, a logical way to fix this. With that said, I got to walk you through this. So I can't go to the Sunday afternoon game. But boy, do my kids want that Francisco Lindor bobblehead. So instead of waiting and asking one of my ticket reps, hey, can you hold it? Maybe I'll get it some other time. We went. We went to the ballpark because I had the tickets from the Saturday game that's now been transferred to the Sunday game, except I can't use them because we're not going to the game. So me and my uh, my oldest son, Jet, went there at 11.30, waited online, got our Lindor bobbles, bought him a Kodai Senga jersey and my youngest, a Pete Alonzo jersey, and got the hell out of town. So I guess I was at the first game. <laughs> I, was, I was there for like 10 minutes. And then we left. And they love that. They love that giveaway, by the way. Very cool concept. You, they give you the seeds. They don't give you the soil. You got to put soil down around Lindor. Then you put seeds down. Then you put some more soil. Water it. Put it in the sun. Grass is going to grow. Badass giveaway, Pete. Badass giveaway. Now, was were you the was the was the line packed at eleven thirty when you got there, or was it? Oh, minimal? dude, it was insane. It oh. was insane. There were tons of people there. Luckily, when you're a season ticket holder, they have a special line for you where they'll open up the gates about a half hour early. So we were able to get in, you know, with, and by the way, there's a lot of season ticket holders. So it's not just us cruising in. I mean, that line was pretty long too, but yeah, tons of people were out there waiting for the the bobblehead. I'm not sure if it's because it's a bobblehead or because of the grass growing concept. I, I was a big fan of the grass growing concept. That was my thing. I thought that was cool and different. I've never seen anything like that. It's kind of like a cheap pet. No. No, because there's a misnomer <laughs> that the hair on Lindor's head is growing. That is not the case. His hair is there and it's fine. You're growing grass like on a baseball field around where Lindor is. Where, where Lindor is. Now, my question is this. They gave away 15,000 of these. 
how many people are going to grow the grass? I'm going to do it. (laughs) And then I want to see how long we can keep the grass. Like, is it going to die out real quick? Like, how long is that grass going to stay next to Lindor? And I promise you this to the audience. Once the grass has successfully grown, I will bring it into the studio and have it on display at least for one show uh, during Carton Robbins. Now, as far as the game is concerned, this was a weird one for me. I always say that I DVR games like I did Friday night so I can have a life and then watch every pitch. Because I was going to the Sunday night game with my oldest son, and we had other things to do. We had a recital. Uh, my, my youngest had a birthday party. Just, you know, kid stuff. No, nothing, nothing shocking. There was no way I could DVR this game. Because what am I DVRing? How can I DVR it and then proceed to go to a game? I wouldn't have enough time. So I was saying to my wife, I was like, this is weird. I'm going to finally be the guy who can't watch the game. Like, I'm going to have to listen to it or check my phone once in a while. But this is going to be one of those rare games I can't score. I can't sit down and watch it. So it is what it is. So I'll take you through what I actually saw from this game. I watched, or I should say, yeah, I watched about the first two innings of the game. So great work by Max Scherzer. No work by this Met offense. I then went to my son's recital, I'd say right around the fourth inning. So 0-0, Scherzer's pitching well, and the phone is now just using being used for videos. I am not checking anything. So I'm out. I'm completely out for about a good hour or so. My heart's beating a little bit, like what's happening? How am I going to find out? But took some good videos, was a good dad, good husband. Then... Me and my son leave. He leaves the recital. My wife goes home with our youngest. And me and my oldest are going to City Field. I got into the car right as the Mets took the 3-0 lead. Actually, right as they took a 2-0 lead. Because I think I saw Nimmo hit the home run. Or heard Brandon Nimmo hit the home run. Howie Rose and Keith Rad, tremendous job. Really one of the first times I, I listen listen to them. Because now I'm relying on them, not scoring the game, not DVRing it, not nothing like that. So I'm fully aware now, up three nothing. I'm fully aware that Max is coming out of this game after six innings, which it is what it is. Like I, I will say this, Pete. I did because you're not watching every pitch, or I wasn't watching every pitch, not you. I didn't have a feel for if Max could have gone out for a seventh inning. So I could sit here and give you some fake strong opinion, but what would it really be based on? Like, I'm not sitting there watching every one of Max pitches where you have a better feel for how he's throwing and if he could go out for another inning. What I do know is there were only four base runners against him. What I do know is that his pitch count was 86, which is not abnormally high. So on the surface, I'd say, why not? But I don't want to get nuts about it because of the fact I didn't see him pitching innings four through six. But six scoreless innings, No complaint from me. I mean, he's put together two really good performances in a row. And yeah, now you're asking for nine outs out of your bullpen. But with a 3 nothing lead, at least at the time, I thought that was reasonable. I thought that was okay. You you okay with Scherzer coming out after six? You got an issue with it? I mean, maybe not in this game. Was I upset by it? But I do want him to go further in games. Yeah. I I know. I guess we're still ramping up to get seven innings plus. But uh, I'll... For this game, I understood the reason why. 
Yeah, I, I think eventually, yes, six innings, 86 pitches, we're going to say, go get me a seventh. Go get me another one. And I think we may say more of that because there is some uncertainty in this bullpen, which we'll address. Uh, Brooks Raley does a fine job. And then we have Adam Ottavino. Adam Ottavino has had a very up and down season so far. We've seen the good of Adam Ottavino, where he's come in in ninth innings after David Robertson has actually pitched some eighth innings, and he's done a fine job. We saw the good of Adam Ottavino on Friday night, if we're being fair. Yeah, it was against the bottom of the order, but still, tie game after that great comeback. He pitched a 1-2-3 inning. Is what it is. We saw, or in my case, we heard the really bad from Adam Ottavino in this game, in the eighth inning, trying to protect a 3 nothing lead. I... I don't know if I would have pulled him early because I think a part of the problem is where and who are you going to? He gives up a leadoff double, but then he gets two outs in a row. So even though a run scores, it's three to one. And it's like, okay, he can get through this. He gives up a double to Steven Kwan, which is not a matchup you like. But again, where are you going? You just used Brooks Raleigh in inning earlier. Brooks Raleigh in inning earlier. He gives up the single to Ahmed Rosario. Little blooper. Didn't pound the ball by any stretch. And that's where Buck makes the call to go to David Robertson. And he has been aggressive at times with David Robertson. And he brings him in to face Jose Ramirez, where what is your option? I'll ask that to any Met fan listening. You want to go to Drew Smith? Do you want to keep Adam Adovino in? Probably not at that point after giving up back-to-back hits. And now he's giving up three hits in the inning. So fine, you go to David Robertson. And David has been great, but he's pitched a lot recently. Mets had the rain out on Saturday to give him a day. But before that, the guy went out and pitched three days in a row. I was almost surprised he pitched as well as he did on Friday, considering he was pitching three days in a row. And David Robertson makes the mistake to Jose Ramirez on a fly ball to center field that just kept going and going and going. And it gets out for a two-run home run. And Cleveland comes back and takes the lead. And (laughs) this felt like crap driving a city field. All right. Well, you know, win the second game of the doubleheader, it's no big deal. But this felt like a real sucky kind of loss. That's the way it felt. And considering that they hit class A on Friday, my brain moves into territory of they better score in the eighth because I don't think you're beating class A twice. I don't think you are. Brett Beatty, to his credit, draws the leadoff walk. And then before you could even get too nervous, Starling Marte drives a ball to right field. That goes over the right fielder's head. It goes over all of our heads. And it's a two-run home run. And believe it or not, Starling Marte gets his first extra base hit in a freaking month. In a month. Even when he show, has shown a pulse at the plate recently, It's been some line drives, but singles to center field. He's been a single sitter. So for Starling Marte to to deliver the breakthrough extra base hit, the one he hasn't had in a month, and to do it in that spot right after the Mets just gave up the lead with their best reliever on the mound, that was so money by Starling Marte. So money, so clutch. And the Mets retake the lead. He allows Robertson to pitch the ninth, which was the only logical choice. He had Dominic Leone warming up. At least that's what Howie Rose said on the radio broadcast. They had Dominic Leone warming up. Robertson was asked after the game, were you pitching the ninth even if the Mets didn't score? 
And Robertson said, that was my impression. Guess what, D-Rob? It wasn't going to happen. Because Buck had someone else warming up. And thank God Marte hit the home run. Because then Robertson gets a chance at a reprieve, and he gets the job done, and the Mets escape. And the Mets win yet another game. Even though this one felt differently because they had the lead for a bunch of the, bunch of time, but another game in which they are dead to rights and they come back. This one in the eighth inning. But I can't say enough about Starling Marte and how shocking that was. Did any Met fans sit there and think when Brett Beatty drew that leadoff walk that Starling Marte was just going to hit a two-run home run to erase the Jose Ramirez home run? I didn't see that one coming. That was stunning to me. No, nah, I mean, he's been, I don't want to say he he's a shell of himself right now, but it feels like he's a different, he's completely different than he was last year. Last year, you felt that when he was hurt and out of the lineup, it's like, oh my God, Starling Marte is not here. And that's the difference maker. Even in the playoffs, you felt like he was the reason why they weren't hitting as well because of Starling Marte this year. I mean, he's played played a lot and he just is it's not, he's not him, put it that way, up until But maybe that swing is what changes it. Just kind of like how the win Wednesday seems to have changed the season. And if Starling Marte is going to look half as good as he looked last year to go along with a hot Lindor and a hot Alonzo and a Jeff McNeil hitting close to 300 and all the young bats, then this lineup goes from everyone's public enemy, number one, to a real strength. So the Marte thing, we'll see if he can build off of it. He didn't start the second game of the doubleheader, which I didn't have a problem with. But let's see if he can build off it in Chicago and Colorado. Because that was, not only was it great for him, but it was so important to the team because that felt like a brutal loss. A brutal loss. And then you go into this doubleheader thinking, hey, the worst case scenario is you win two out of three against Cleveland. Not that you want to lose the game. I don't want to lose the game, especially being in the building and watching it with my son only a second game of the year. I want to win the game. But at least now you go into the game with a little bit of the pressure off, knowing this is a four and two homestand if you don't win Sunday night. Uh, speaking of uh, the going to this, the game with your son, I have a question for you. Yes. Were you, were you sitting in your normal seats? I was not. Yeah, what's up with that? I thought you were, like, planted. You have your seats, and, and they, you can't move from those seats. Those are your babies. That's the best seat in the house. Those are my favorite seats to watch a baseball game. Uh, I was invited for my son to be very, very close to the action. So a friend of mine invited us to sit first row down the right field line where there's access to, you know, getting autographs and maybe a foul ball here and there. So I was a good father because, Pete, I really didn't want to sit there. I got to be honest with you. It, it's cool to be close, but I'm more of a I want to be behind home plate. But I know for a six-year-old he was going to get a kick out of it, and he did. And I'll tell you something that was pretty crazy. In the first inning, as you may recall, Jose Ramirez hit a home run. Do you remember this into the upper deck? I do, yes. Okay. So the City Field crowd then proceeds to copy Wrigley Field, which every stadium now does by throwing the ball back on the field. So somebody throws the ball back on the field. The ball then ends up with the right fielder who hands it to the ball boy, who then hands it to a security guard, who then handed it to my son. Let's go. Not only ended up with a baseball, he ended up (laughs) with the freaking Jose Ramirez home run. 
That's awesome. Good for Jet. Yeah, he didn't want pretty... to throw it back? No, because he he was asking me about this. Like, why'd they throw it back? And I said, well, it's a tradition in Chicago that we have all ripped off. So, I mean, he thought it was cool that he has a home run ball. Like, it's not just a foul ball that doesn't mean anything. He got the home run ball. The one mistake Justin Verlander made is now in the possession of my son. So that's why, of course, I said yes to a, a gracious invitation like that. Because even though my own selfishness would rather be behind home plate, I, I understand things like that. You know, He's going to think about it for the rest of his life. He'll remember that. He'll remember that and tell his kids about it. So it was definitely a cool experience. Somebody tweeted me out a picture. They caught me on TV sitting there. So maybe you saw it. I, I don't know. But it was, it was a very cool experience. And it was some game. This Sunday night game was unbelievable. First of all, I want to just say that I understand everybody out there is jealous. Not that I went to the game, but that I didn't have to hear the ESPN broadcast. Because I can't tell you how many emails and texts and tweets I got about Carl Ravitch sucks. David Cohn even sucks. This broadcast is awful. And I, I listen, I feel for you. This is why when I saw Sunday Night Baseball, Mets against the uh, Guardians, I knew I was going because I don't, don't want to deal with this. Yeah, but part, partly we're spoiled. We're spoiled. We have the best crew in, in baseball with Gary, Keith, and Ron. I mean, I, we're not going to get to a whole thing here on them, but they are so good. They're so entertaining. They're so spot on. It, listen, I watch Yankee, ton of Yankee games. Uh, Yankee games can't hold their jockstrap. I got to be honest, like the Mets are, our broadcast team is amazing. Our broadcast team is amazing. I also think that when you're diehard fans, you don't want to hear national broadcasters that don't know your team nearly as well as you. I think that's a big part of it. Carl Ravitch or whomever is doing a national game could be the greatest announcers in the world, but they naturally aren't going to know as much about your team as you because you're not, they're not watching every single game. So I always think that national announcers in baseball have a disadvantage just from that. They could be the greatest. You're, you're still going to be annoyed by them. So I, I feel for everybody who watched the game, had a terrible time. I'm not going to sit here and read all the emails out loud, but trust me, I saw it. You hated it. Maybe you like Jeff McNeil being mic'd up. I have no idea. I, I don't care about that. Like if, if Jeff McNeil says something interesting, I'll see it on YouTube is the way I view it. As far as the game is concerned, you know, so Ramirez hits that home run in the first inning, and this is very typical of Verlander. He runs into some early trouble, gave up even a base hit in the second inning, and then he dominates. This is what I was hoping for in that game on Tuesday against Tampa, where early trouble, he's going to settle in, and boy, did he settle in. And he wasn't striking the world out. He wasn't getting a ton of swing and misses. He was getting a lot of outs early in the count. Go through this game. He got a lot of first pitch and second pitch outs. And why that's so valuable is that it allowed him to go eight innings. It allowed it to be a fair discussion to wonder if he should come out for the ninth inning, which I thought, why not? His pitch count was only 98. Is that where it ended up? 98. And in that eighth inning, he threw five pitches or six pitches, whatever it was, six pitches in the eighth inning. And he was able to do that. Because the strikeout numbers, they weren't that high. Strike out five guys. Okay, great. He didn't need to strike out more guys. And I think in a day in which you plan a doubleheader, 
you had just used three relievers in game one. Even though you had a rainout Saturday, you used 150 relievers on Friday. You've used a ton of relievers over the last week. It's almost as if Verlander, being the old pro that he is, said, I'm going to get outs and I'm going to get them as fast as I humanly can. Because the faster I get them, the longer into this game I can pitch. And credit to Shane Bieber, he did the same thing. Which is why, this may sound nuts, what I'm about to say, but I really mean it as an old school baseball fan. I think I may have enjoyed being at this game Sunday night more than I even was Wednesday night's game. Because as great as Wednesday's game was, as wild as it was, and it was nuts, to me what happened Sunday night is what made me fall in love with baseball to begin with. And I'm not talking about the length of game, okay? It has nothing to do with it. Two aces. Two dogs. Two guys that went out there and they just pitched. Did they strike the world out? No. I didn't need crazy strikeout numbers. I mean, Shane Bieber struck out five guys, six guys over eight innings. Verlander struck out five guys over eight innings. There were not a lot of strikeouts in this game, but there were two aces that pitched. You got eight innings from Bieber, complete game, complete game loss, which (laughs) what world are we in? And Verlander gave you eight in which he could have pitched nine. That's what I love. And then if you want to throw in how the runs were scored, a home run by Cleveland's best player, Jose Ramirez, a superstar, a home run by Francisco Lindor in a clutch spot in the sixth inning. And then it wasn't hit and run. It wasn't, but let's just call it that because it's cool. Hit and run. Shortstop vacates his position. Ooh, sacrifice. Little ball. Sacrifice fly. Baseball. Great defense. We saw a guy try to lead off the ninth inning with a bun single in Stephen Kwan, and Brooks Raley makes this great defensive play. You had great defense. You had great starting pitching. You had little ball. You had a couple of home runs from some superstars. I don't know what more you could want from a baseball game. Now, maybe he didn't have the dramatic comeback, but that was a baseball game. Would I have liked to have seen Verlander pitch the ninth? I think if this was a different part of the year, I would have pushed it more. i tell you this, if this was October, you're damn right he's pitching the ninth inning. I mean, if it's October, it's not a doubleheader, so David Robertson's available, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, He was great. Verlander was great. I really thought, like I said at the beginning of the pod, the perfect symmetry of Verlander getting booed off the mound on Tuesday at the beginning of this homestand to him getting a standing ovation as he walked off the mound in the eighth inning. And that's not the only standing ovation he got. When he came out to pitch the eighth, he got a standing ovation because we're all stunned to see it. We don't see that very often. And that was so, so great to see. As far as that Lindor check swing, I just wanted to talk about that briefly because I listened to what he said after the game. It's why we kind of delayed the podcast a little bit because I wanted to hear what everybody had to say. Plus, I was driving home from the game. So you're probably listening to this Monday morning because we didn't post this thing till wee hours of the night. Sorry. Sunday night baseball, and I took my kid to the game. But Lindor said that the reason he tried to check his swing on that base hit that allowed Marte to go to third is because he saw Marte was trying to steal second. So it was not a hit and run. It was the opposite. It was a, oh, he's running. I don't want to swing. I want to give him a crack to steal second base. Lindor tries to check. 
He checks it, hits the ball right to shortstop, where, uh, what's his name, Gabriel Arias is darting towards second to try to take the throw on Marte stealing. You want to call it lucky? Yes, it was very lucky. But it went our way. And it set up the first and third for McNeil, who put the bat on the ball behind in the count, which is not easy to do. And the Mets take the lead, and the Mets win the game. So it was not a hit and run as much as it would be cool to say it was. It was a Starlings trying to steal second base. Oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't swing. Tremendous victory. Rally comes in for the ninth. Rally comes in for the ninth. Makes that great defensive play on Stephen Kwan. And then I want to take you to the Rosario at bat because Jet, my oldest son, said something to me that annoyed me but turned out to be the future. He said, Dad, I want him to get a hit. I said, what? Well, you don't want him to get You want Rosario to get a hit? He's like, yes. I said, may I ask why? And he looks at me and says, I want to end this game on a double play. (laughs) So the buddy who brought us to the game says, how about we just make it easy? I said, yeah, why do we make it easy? Why do we have to put a guy on first base? As we're having this debate, Rosario gets drilled. So I look at Jet. I said, oh, boy, if he hits a two-run home run, I can be happy with you. But maybe you'll get what you want. And on the second pitch, he did. Beautiful double play, Lindor to McNeil to Alonzo. And then we all had a big laugh and celebrated a neat and tidy two-to-one victory for the Mets over the Guardians, winning the series 3-0, winning the homestand five out of six, and making us all feel really, really good as the Mets head to Chicago to take on the Cubs. So before this homestand, Pete asked me a question. Do you remember what the question was right before the homestand? I think it was how, what do you want the record, their record to be with this homestand? What do I want? Yes. And I said four and two, go win a couple of series. Well, for the first time in a long time, they exceeded our expectations. Five and one homestand against the team with the best record in baseball and a team that made the postseason a year ago. Two teams that made the postseason a year ago. So very, very good homestand as the Mets get set to now go to Chicago to take on the Cubs. Kodai Senga with an extra day will pitch Tuesday against Drew Smiley. So the Mets will see a lefty for the first time in a couple of days. Tyler McGill against Marcus Stroman on Wednesday night. And then Carlos Carrasco will try to bounce back against Jamison Tyone on Thursday night. All night games in Chicago against the Cubs. And then the three games in Colorado against the Rockies where we will see Scherzer, Verlander, and then Kodai Sang on regular rest for the first time, unless they call somebody up, (laughs) which is on the table. I would not rule out the Mets saying, ah, you know what? Got to get Sang an extra day. So we shall see. But I feel good. Y'all feel good? Do we feel good, Pete? Are we feeling good? I feel amazing. There's nothing. Listen, we've five wins in a row. Five wins in a row. I haven't. When's the last time we had five wins in a row? I, I can't remember. A yeah. winning streak? It feels good. It's a winning streak, damn it. I, I think the concern when you try to find one, and I don't think it's that difficult to find. I think it's obvious what's in front of us, which is this bullpen, which is the the up and down nature of Adam Ottavino, the up and down nature of Drew Smith, Brooks Raleigh coming back, really coming back. Yeah, I, I just, it's Raleigh. I'm sorry. It's like stuck in my head. 
it's especially stuck in my head because one of the many emails we got this week was from a guy telling me that Raleigh, North Carolina has a better chance at a baseball team than Nashville, and I should jump on board the Raleigh train, which I'm all for. Let's get a baseball team in Raleigh. I got I got a brother-in-law that lives down there. It's great. I'll go down there. I'll go to some games. But yeah, I, I think that it's fair to look at this bullpen where you see Brooks Raleigh. Okay, some fairly decent confidence in him. You see Adam Ottavino, who's been up and down. Drew Smith, who's been up and down. And then what are you talking about? Jeff Brigham, Dominic Leone, Steven Nagosik. Obviously, I'm leaving Robertson out because I do think he has earned the trust despite giving up the home run to Jose Ramirez. He's had a great start to the year. But, yeah, it's funny how things can change so quickly. I think the lineup, the rotation has all been big concerns that we've talked at nauseam about. But it is fair to look at this bullpen and say, boy, they're going to need reinforcements. And they are. And they are. Look, if the one thing the Mets need to address at the deadline is the bullpen, that's not a bad thing. If we feel strong enough about the rotation and the lineup where the Mets are going to need to make additions and the only area they're going to need to make additions is the bullpen, that's not a bad place to be. Uh, another note, by the way, I'm not sure if you you, you mentioned it, but uh, David Peterson's line. David Peterson's line where? In AAA? Yeah, it actually looked do? good. He looked good, scoreless. I think it was, I think nine strikeouts. I think he went six or seven innings, scoreless. Well, well, what do you think that? Do you think that should make us feel differently about him, though? I mean, honestly, like, do you think hearing that, which I wasn't aware of that line, so I'm glad you told me. But do you, you think that's going to make us say, "Okay, great, bring him back Sunday against Colorado"? I, I don't know, but maybe there's something that they're fixing down there. Maybe there, maybe that's a positive. Like that, that's the thing that bothers me about him. It's is he just a four A player, and we just don't recognize it? We're just trying to be stupid and be like, "Oh, he could, he'll be able to work here." And and even as a four A pitcher, he could be a fifth starter. Or is there something that we just a locking down there that they hasn't been able to transfer up into the big leagues? By the way, here's his final line: eight scoreless innings. Not not a few scoreless innings. Eight scoreless innings. Two hits. Nine strikeouts. Three walks. He threw ninety five pitches in Syracuse's win over Norfolk on Sunday. Ronnie Mauricio, one for five with two RBIs. <clears throat> Two-run double. So good for him. Uh, but by the way, the Ronnie Mauricio talk is going to calm down if the Mets keep winning. The more you win and the more there's production, the less we're going to scream and yell about it. And, and one last thing. And we'll do emails on the next pod. I apologize because we've already done an hour and it's late. Um... Let's not worry about the catching situation. Like worrying about Narvaez and Nito, there's no need to worry because as of right now, as of this moment, Francisco Alvarez is not going anywhere. He's not. You know, if Tomas Nito needs to come off the IL, it's not going to be at the expense of the guy who's playing catcher every single day. So I'm no longer worried about sending down Francisco Alvarez for now. A month from now, as Narvaez is ready to come back, let's see where Alvarez is. So I just don't think it's something worth worrying about. Obviously, we're all on the same side. Alvarez should not go down to AAA. He has earned his keep here, but that's today. On June 15th, if he's in a 1-for-37 slump, maybe we'll be saying something different. But for now, Alvarez is the starting catcher for this team. 
Gary Sanchez is a fine backup. I have no issue with Gary Sanchez as a backup. I think he's a better option than Tomas Nito. Nito may be better defensively, but certainly offensively, Gary gives you more of an opportunity. You can email the pod to RicoB at gmail.com. One quick thing. Um, I can't do a Rico Thursday after the Cubs series, so here's what we'll do to make things better for you. We'll do a Rico after game two of the Chicago series, and then you'll still get a Rico after the Chicago series, but it'll be hosted by Pete Hoffman and friends. So we'll give you an extra Rico next week as the Mets are in Chicago against the Cubs, and then after that, as always, after every series is over. We appreciate you listening and downloading. Uh, Check out Pete during the week with Tiki and Tierney, me and Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. Thanks for listening to Rico Bruno. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>